listening to the Sermons Podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. In the early 90s, I remember there was this initiative where the challenge was for students in the local schools to gather around the flagpoles of their public schools, to gather early and to sit there and to pray boldly. And I remember that as a 13-year-old Christian, that was quite a stand to make in the public school. So I remember building up enough courage and wondering who else would be out there at the flagpole that day to meet me as we prayed 10 minutes before the first bell rang. And I remember pulling up, my mom dropping me off, and I made my way to the flagpole. And I was shocked to see who was gathered around that morning. These little heathens that I went to school with had no, (laughs) had no right to be standing around that flagpole. People who were using the filthy language, those who were already becoming sexually active at age 13, those who were abusing substances, all gathered around there praying. And I think at that moment, I realized that there were different versions of Christianity and what it meant to walk with Christ. And I wasn't being judgmental, but it was an eye-opening experience for me because what I had discovered over the course of my life being, being raised in a Christian home was much different than the people who were calling upon the name of Jesus and then afterwards, five minutes later, going on a rant of swearing and profanity, among other things. As I got a little bit older and started to move into those teenage years, I realized that I too had a very funny version of Christianity. I got into a place where I had recognized that Jesus was Savior and I was trying to figure out how could I still get my own way and live the life that I wanted to live while still trying to do this Christian thing. And so I began to interpret the Bible as I saw fit and I realized that there was this legal loophole that if I said a sinner's prayer and invited Jesus into my heart, I could secure my eternity and live however I wanted to live. And that was my funny version of being a Christian. It allowed me to entertain all the things that I wanted to entertain in my life, but yet still have that assurance that if something tragic happened to me, then I could at least spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And I remember at night, having lived however I wanted to live, laying in bed going, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Gotcha, God, on a technicality. You have to save me. No repentance, no remorse, only to wake up the next morning and do all that my heart desired. I too had joined those who had gathered around the flagpole by forming my own understanding of Christianity. As believers, we are called to examine and test our faith. Is our faith genuine? And there are many struggles that we have in this life already. We have the attraction of the world that constantly pulls at us. 
We have this thing within us that wants us to trust in the ways of the world, to put our trust and security in material possessions. And yet we know that we are to rely upon him and say, oh no, everything that I, I, I believe and everything that I trust is in you. We're challenged in this life to persevere. That when things get difficult, not just to throw our hands up and walk away from the faith. That is a very real challenge that we experience as believers. There's also the challenge that we experience that as we come to Christ and maybe clean up our act a little bit. We begin to feel a little bit moral superiority and that breeds within it an attitude of religiosity. That we take on a religious spirit and we begin to look at all the actions that we can perform and slowly but surely our hearts are not connected to the Father. There are many versions of what it means to be a follower. And I think of Jesus Christ. And I think of him as carpenter, the humble and lowly servant who walked this earth with great love and great power and great ministry, loving upon people, very approachable. And I also think about the resurrected Savior who is Christ the King, a good and gracious King. And I think of John's experience. The disciple John went to the Last Supper event and he reclined and laid his head upon Jesus the Master, Jesus the Carpenter, Jesus the Son of God. And yet, this same John would have an experience with a resurrected Jesus Christ much later in the book of Revelation. John turns his attention to a glorified Christ and he falls down upon the ground as if he is dead. And it is this same Jesus that he stands in this reverential awe of that Jesus is not only Savior, but he is Lord. In my version of Christianity, I was willing to accept the carpenter who gave his life for me. I was willing to accept Jesus the Savior. What I was not ready to accept was Jesus the Lord and God, Master, King. And it's much different to look and say, Savior versus my Lord and my God. There's a temptation for us to look at cultural Christianity and to say that the object of Christianity is to have this conversion moment, but have we grown in the things of God from that point of conversion? Have we grown in faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ? growing up in the southern United States in the Bible Belt. If you voted conservatively, if you said grace before you had your meal, 
if you had a copy of the King James Version Bible somewhere in your home, you're a Christian, brother. And I don't know if there are some other cultural stories, whether it be New Zealand, South Africa, wherever the case may be, where, where your origin is from, but these were kind of our practices that were woven culturally that really impacted my personal view of what it meant to be a legitimate Christ follower. We think of the element of religion. We think of the different practices and ceremonies that we possess in Christendom. And while those practices are very powerful, it is different than being a follower of Jesus in a sense that we look at all of these practices, whether it be baptism, communion, the preaching of God's word, corporate worship, is there there is an absence of Christ from any of those things which we deem religious then they are ineffective they are powerless they are of no value because Christ is the cornerstone in which all things are built growing up in the Bible belt of the United States you could see that there were these religious practices that were interwoven with the culture but it's much different to have a culture that's interwoven with the person of Jesus Christ. And so we look at some of the practices that, that we perform as God's people, these external practices, and we ask, is Christ honored in everything that we do? What type of of faith do I follow? In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul calls upon the believers in Corinth. He says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. And if he's not, then you have failed the test of genuine faith. And in 1 Peter the apostle writes, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those that God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. In my own personal story, I had that true conversion moment when I was about 19. I had considered the cost. I had backed away from what I thought was true Christianity and having a genuine faith, and stepping into a life of truly becoming a Christ follower. And it was in that moment things changed for me. Like the old hymn used to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And there was a conscious decision that was made in that time of my life that although I didn't have all of the theology and although I would go on to make a mistake, I would go on to make many mistakes, there was, there was no doubt within my mind that I was on this pathway of learning not just that Jesus is Savior, but that He is my Lord and my God. 
And this morning, we want to take communion. But there is a call in communion to reflect and examine our life and our faith. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church that is in turmoil in Corinth. And he begins telling them that we need to examine your life, Corinth. Anyone who gathers around the Lord's table and begins to eat bread and drinks the cup and does so in a manner that's unworthy sins against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. And begin to think about this process of examination and the role that it plays within our lives as believers. Do I sit before God and say, search my heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Would you remove anything that is not of you? Will I follow you wholeheartedly? And again, as believers, there is this temptation to look at the practices that we perform and to elevate them to an esteemed place even higher than we esteem the person of Jesus Christ himself. And it's during these seasons when we're together and when we are in these opportunities where we practice things sacred like communion that we evaluate and say, God, where, where do I sit with you? What type of attitude do I have as we partake of the elements of the table? In Luke 7, Jesus is invited into the home of a Pharisee. And a Pharisee is someone who was highly esteemed, who knew the law, who even went above and beyond. The Pharisees had developed traditions of men. And Jesus often criticized these Pharisees to say, you are holding the traditions of men at the same level that you are holding the word of God. And there was great resistance from the Pharisees to look upon Christ, to receive his message, and to acknowledge who he was. And in Luke 7, we read that one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume, and she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair, and she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look, this woman is kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. but She has anointed my feet with rare perfume. And I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little only shows a little love. Then Jesus looked at the woman and said, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When I look at this story, I see the comparison between a Pharisee, someone who knows, who is theologically sound, who knows the Mosaic traditions, and yet cannot recognize that the Savior of the world is right in his home. And what's notable is that this Pharisee, the one who should know, looks at Jesus and says, oh, prophet, oh, teacher, rabbi. But notice what he does not say. My Lord. And in comes this woman. The Bible says an immoral woman. A woman who doesn't have the religious backing. The woman who doesn't have the cleanest history. And she bows at the feet of Jesus Christ. She gets it. And she places herself in a posture of worship and she begins to wash the feet of Jesus with all that she has, the most important thing that she owns, and she lavishes praise and worship. She declares, He is Lord. So the question for us as being true believers can we not just declare with our mouth, but can we say with our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord of all? Christ is not divided so that we can pick and choose the parts that we wish to follow, the parts that we wish to take. I cannot divide Savior from King, Savior from Lord. And I think of the picture that Jesus, with love in his heart for both the Pharisee and the woman, does his best to penetrate the heart of stone in that Pharisee by explaining through parable to show that both people indeed need forgiveness. Both need to acknowledge that they are in a sinful state. And yet, that Pharisee in that moment cannot bring himself to a posture of worship. He had every opportunity to do that, but instead did not. Can you imagine the picture that day? That a Pharisee would kneel beside this woman with a sketchy past, and both at the same level, would just worship. And we even see how 
our connection and acknowledging Jesus as Lord impacts our relationships with one another. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the table once more. And he says, when we break the bread, are we not sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf, showing that we are one body. And we think about who we are as the church. Not a gathered group of people who have certain practices that we perform that are meaningful to us. We as the church gather together under the lordship of Jesus Christ and his divine life begins to flow through all of us. So when we preach the word, we hear about the goodness of God, the superiority of Jesus Christ, his saving, redempting work, but also him as king. When we take communion together, we're reminded that we are not entangled in sin, but we take the bread and our hearts are stirred and united together as God's people. And we all declare with one attitude and one voice, Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to ask the communion team if they would come at this time and begin passing around the elements. Today I wanted to practice what Paul's instruction tells us to examine our hearts. Today, as the elements go around, as you hold the bread and the cup, symbolic of the brokenness of Jesus Christ, symbolic of the new covenant that has been made through the sacrificial blood, would you consider where you stand this very day? Are you able to declare not only Jesus is Savior, but are you able to declare Jesus is Lord? And so just for a moment, let us reflect and let us consider where we stand before God. Hold on to the bread and the cup, and at the appropriate time for you, after some examination, feel free to take the bread and the cup together. But let me pray for you. God, you have done an amazing work through Jesus Christ, your son. An incredible work. We think of the brokenness of the body Jesus experienced. The trauma, the pain, all of it. So that we could come to you we think of the blood that he spilt, the pain that he endured so that we could be renewed and reconciled to a father who loves us. And Father, the cost for us to be made right with you, I pray that the reality of that cost would seep into our souls this morning. And Father, if we have been in a place where we feel dry and stagnant, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would begin to fill the hearts of your people. 
if we are in a place where we felt that we have given up, we are considering walking away, I pray that you would strengthen your people this morning as they receive the cup, as they receive the bread. Would you strengthen your people this morning? And for those who over time feel that maybe they've developed a heart of stone, maybe they've lost that sensitivity that they once possessed when they first knew you. God, would you bring back a heart of flesh this morning through this incredible act? God, as the Pharisee invited Jesus to the table, we recognize your presence today at the table. And I pray that your people would respond to a posture of worship just as that woman did long ago in Luke 7. And that you would change and mold our hearts and give us a hunger and a desire to follow you above all else. Bring us into a renewal of faith. Bring us into a true understanding of what it means to live a life centered on the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just as Ross plays, let's take a moment. And when you are ready, after a time of reflection, feel free to take the bread and the cup. Thanks for checking out our sermons podcast today. For more information on Ottawa Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ottawabaptist.com.